Welcome to God Knows Where. I'm Brett Harris. Thanks for being here. And thanks to everyone who nominated God Knows Where in the Best of the Pine Belt competition. I'll keep you posted on how it goes and and where it goes from here. But more importantly than nominating us for any competition, thank you for listening and for sharing and for pumping up this show to your friends and your family members. Keep it up. I love it. It makes me so excited to do this each and every week for you. We're winding down this first series that we're in about all the things that Jesus didn't say, but that we get hung up on. And it's not over. It's not over yet. Today's not the last episode of it. But soon, we're going to dive into a different set of questions and topics that made it hard for me to stay in the pulpit. And maybe they're topics and questions that make it hard for you to square your faith and tradition and scripture and life with each other as well. There's a whole lot of our tradition that we sweep under the rug or ignore when it doesn't jive with us or where we are in our lives. And we'll dig into that and what and why and how we can try to all square it up together. More on that to come in the weeks ahead. Also, I think there are a bunch of you who, like me, have questions either for yourself or that you get from your kids or grandkids and you struggle to know how to answer them. You know, those big philosophical questions that hit you in the middle of the night or that hit your kids as you're trying to get them to bed. If you or your kids have these questions, send them my way. I want to put together some resources for all of us that's sort of like one part NPR's Life Kit, another part Vacation Bible School. There's a link in the show notes where you can share your questions and also let me know if you or your kids want to be a part of it in any way. It explains it all at the link. There are also links to all the people and performances that I mention in today's episode. If you're a regular listener, you know that I've asked some really big questions over the past couple of months. Well, I've got another one today. Maybe not a question so much as an admission that there's a really big question that I don't know how to answer. I hope you enjoy today's episode, Divine Comedy. I listen to and watch a lot of stand-up comedy. I always have. Way more than I read and listen to preachers and theologians. I can't get enough comedy in my life. Maybe after 20 episodes of God Knows Where, that makes sense to you. It tracks that the pastor who walked away from the church didn't grow up influenced by philosophical or theological sages so much as the performers who were closing down clubs as preachers were waking up. I can't get enough of comedy, I think, because in many ways, I think comedians do what preachers do, but a lot better. They tell stories, sometimes to make a point, but more often to connect. To connect us to the absurdity of everyday life. To connect with a group of people in a room. To connect personal moments from their lives to the universal human experience. And the really good ones are masters. They're geniuses. Dave Chappelle, Mike Birbiglia, Hannah Gadsby. They're geniuses when it comes to making connections, to telling stories, And doing it in a way where you miss nothing they say, even though you spend most of their performance doubled over in laughter. 
If you haven't, after we're done, look up and watch Chappelle's most recent speech at his high school in D.C. And I know there's a lot swirling around about Dave Chappelle, but this is worth a watch. And check out Mike Birbiglia's Thank God for Jokes and Hannah Gadsby's Nanette. They're all master classes. They're all on Netflix, and I'd give you my password if you needed it, but Netflix looks down on it these days. I tell you all of this to say that it was down some rabbit hole of watching and listening to everything Mike Birbiglia has ever created that I came across Pete Holmes, another comedian in his podcast, You Made It Weird. If you've got two hours to spare or a pasture to mow like me, then give it a listen. It's always funny, but what I really love is how Pete Holmes weaves faith and spirituality into all of his conversations and how he point-blankly asks the same spiritual questions of all his guests, religious or not. No one gets off the show without diving into what happens after we die. He always asks them, is this it? When life is over, is this it? And there are all kinds of answers, orthodox ones, non-Christian ones, agnostic, atheistic, scientific, all kinds. I, for one, have no idea how to answer that question. Maybe the writers of our scriptures are right. Maybe their visions were clear. Maybe there are many mansions with many rooms and streets with gold and pearly gates. But a year or two before I went to seminary, I heard a rabbi say that if there was an afterlife, that he hoped to live a life worthy of getting there one day. And I've never been able to shake that thought out of my brain. Maybe it's all out there somewhere, but I don't know. And I know that's maybe a surprising admission for someone who used to be a pastor to hold. Aren't pastors supposed to be sure about eternal life? Isn't part of the goal for pastors to get as many people in line for heaven as possible? And isn't it part of pastoring to comfort those who are grieving with the assurance that their loved one is in a better place? Yes, and I was terrible at it. But I was never uncomfortable telling someone that their loved one was in a better place, whether I knew them or not, whether they'd prayed a prayer or not, whether they'd backslid or fallen off the wagon or even been on death row. Because I've always believed that no matter what, grace trumps all. Love wins. God is big and loving and compassionate enough to welcome us all when it's all said and done. But that's not always what we read in Scripture. It's there in spades for sure, and I'm confident that that's the overarching message. But to be honest, that's not what Jesus says. If there's one passage that is more conflicting than Matthew 25, verses 31 to 46, then I don't know what it is. In the span of 15 or so sentences, Jesus says more that I'm like, yes, preach. And also, hey man, could you just take it down a notch than anywhere else in scripture? You know the old saying that there's a difference between preaching and meddling? Well, Jesus is preaching and meddling here as far as I'm concerned. I'm in to the parts about where we've seen Jesus, that we've seen Jesus when someone was thirsty and we gave them something to drink, or in prison and we went to visit them. 
but I really don't want him to tag on the end about the sheep and the goats and how the sheep will go to heaven and the goats will be consumed by fire. And that's not just because we once kept goats out here at our house and one gave birth to an adorable kid that I'm sure our boys wanted to let us let them move into their room. It's because it smacks of the same divisions and destruction and delineation that we can't get enough of down here. But it's coming straight out of Jesus' mouth. It doesn't sound like the vision of a new heaven and a new earth in Revelation. It doesn't sound like, come to me all you who are weary and I will ease your burdens. It doesn't sound like, love your neighbor as yourself. And it doesn't sound like, as Jesus said to his neighbor, a murderer on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. Sounds more like the middle schooler I once watched walk up to another kid in art class and tell him point blank, if you don't accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you know you're going to hell, right? And because Jesus says here in Matthew that there will be separation and eternal fire for those goats who didn't feed the hungry or visit the imprisoned and so on. It's provided the fodder for church folks to scare others into believing or making choices based on fear instead of love. As I was laying out all the topics I wanted to talk about in this first series of God Knows Where, one I wanted to talk about was what happens after we die. Because I've never believed that hell was a possibility, and I've never been able to square the idea of grace with a statute of limitations. Like there's some timer counting down somewhere in space, and when it gets to zero, grace and forgiveness and absolution all of a sudden become impossible. I'm the pastor comedian Karen Mills jokes about when she talks about how strange she's found it that hell never seems to come up at funerals. And I'm not the pastor who spoke at a funeral I attended once, who was so worried about the final resting place of a man who died that he spent his entire sermon at the funeral extolling the congregation to get saved. There are so many things that we think about and talk about and build our lives around that we can say, Jesus didn't say that to. But here, he does say it. He says a thing that many of us never want to hear him or anyone say. He says a thing that many of us don't believe. And because he says it, if we want to, we can pluck it out and use it however we wish. But I think we still have to weigh it against everything else Jesus does. All the ways we see Jesus carrying himself in the world and everything else Jesus says. And he says something else, something different in Matthew that we have to weigh against these harsh words we hear in Matthew 25. In Matthew 20, he says in a parable about a landowner treating all his workers equally, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. What we've heard or have been taught about these words, at least how I first heard and was taught to think about them, is that the last means out. But last isn't out. Last is last for sure, but last is still a part of the group. The Miami Heat were the last team to make the NBA playoffs this year, but they made it. And they're still playing today. 
We want so badly in our lives, in this life that we have, to be first, to be as far away from the last as possible, that we fool ourselves into thinking that if you're last, then you've missed out. But that's not what Jesus says there. And when we take this idea of last being in, and we consider what we see from Jesus elsewhere in the Gospels, which is he is a person with an unparalleled ability to linger to stay until all are healed or until all have been fed or all have heard good news. When we do that, when we bring these all together, we see that Jesus has nothing but time for all of us. He has no calendar. He makes no appointment. There's no timer ticking down. He stays with folks as long as they need. So when we take all of that, Take that perspective, his ability to linger, this different way of thinking about last. We take that and we go back to Matthew 25. We can read it a bit differently. There's no denying that he says there will be sheep and goats, but he never says how many of each there will be. He also remarks that he'll be the one doing the dividing, not you or me or anyone else. And so it's quite possible that given his penchant for lingering and his desire to stick with folks until they're made whole, that the sheep pen will be overflowing and the goat pen will be of no use. I think Jesus says what he says in Matthew 25 to make it clear to us that this life matters, that this is not just a bus stop until we find the stairway to heaven or the highway to hell. This is our chance. We have to make the most of the time we have. We have to help others make the most of the time they have, too. Our purpose on earth, as far as Jesus is concerned, is to do just that. To make here, to make this life as great as it can be for everyone we come across for as long as we're here. And to spend no time worrying about what's next. If we handle what and who is in front of us with care and respect and dignity, then everything else will take care of itself. In an interview with Terry Gross in 2010, Mike Birbiglia said, comedy is tragedy plus time, but the time is different for everybody. Time is different for all of us. And time is different for Jesus. And comedy, that ability to take the world and make it make sense and to name where it doesn't and to laugh and to find joy in this life, in many ways, that's what Jesus was trying to do. Not to be funny, but to help us, all of us, to wring every bit of joy out of life that we can before it's over. We don't get a lot of time here. So Jesus repeatedly reminds us to make the most of what we have. Sometimes it comes across as harsh. Sometimes we mishear him. But let's not forget that he has nothing but time. Nothing but time for you, for me, for all of us. Let's not waste any of the time we have being fearful of tragedy. Let's not waste any of the time that we have allowing others to fear or live in tragedy, but rather lifting each other out 
of the tragedy so that we can all live and laugh and love together for as long as we have. God Knows Where is written, produced, and edited by me, Brett Harris, with music by Thomas Steinwinder and Michael Trest, and unwavering support from my wife, Elizabeth. If you like what you hear, I'd encourage you to share God Knows Where with your friends and family, and give us a review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to this show. It'll mean the world to me, and it'll help more people find God Knows Where. Thanks in advance for your help and for being here and for listening. Until next time, take these words from William Sloan Coffin with you. May God give you the grace never to sell yourself short. Grace to risk something big for something good. Grace to remember that the world is too dangerous for anything but truth and too small for anything but love. So may God take your minds and think through them, and your eyes and see through them, and your hearts and set them on fire.